make it up as I go along. Sorry, are you meditating? That's pretty much what I do, too. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning into this episode of The Drop-In. As you can see, it looks a little different here. A little crazy, a little crazy. But today is NFL Draft Day, so everybody in the studio is gone. And my guest, Mr. Rob Paul, and I decided to freaking barge the main studio. We're like, let's get on the main studio, dude. We're sitting a little far apart, a little bit crazy. But uh, it was just like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And so we did. And so figured out all the freaking computer stuff, lights, all this stuff. My man Easy helped us out. He's like, dude, that's a great idea. And so that's what we did. So a little different, all this sports stuff. I can't thank the Woodward Sports Network enough for giving me the opportunity to, to broadcast from here. The drop-in has, has had different different views throughout the years. We've been on my couch. We've been uh, over at our past studios. But being here at the Woodward Sports Network, it has just been awesome. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, everybody. Easy, Chad, everybody here. But, uh, you know, I mentioned my guest, Rob Paul. Him and I have been doing some crazy stuff together. A few weeks ago... Um, we did some live radio stuff, and we're going to talk about that a little later. Uh, we've been skating together, and I said, dude, you got to come on the show and tell your story. And he agreed, and here he is. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time for a minute there. I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? And then we end up freaking in this giant studio. Thank you for having me. I can't believe we're in the big studio. Even though the little studio looked pretty impressive. It's, it's pretty cozy in there and uh, pretty casual. This is a little different. And I don't think the YouTube people are going to be able to see, but we're right at the corner of 15 and Woodward. Yes, so we are. So we get to see all the traffic going home. And, 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 you know, uh, it's crazy because this whole wall over here is windows. So people walk by like they think we're famous and cool or something. Little do they know. Um, we should invite just... them in and show them otherwise. <laughs> That'll show them. <laughs> but uh, you said you got some skating in this morning. The weather here in uh, southeastern Michigan starting to shape up a little bit and look it like got spring. Warm. I, I started out with a sweatshirt and ended up in the t-shirt. So cool. that's the way I like to skate. Yeah. <laughs> As the day moved on, you know, it, it was pretty chilly. I was scraping ice, ice off my windshield at 7 a.m. And now it's 55 degrees. Yeah. So it's supposed to be nice tomorrow, too. So probably a big weekend of skating for me. Yeah, I I'd think so. I think I'll get out, hopefully, out to Ann Arbor somewhere over the weekend. I don't know yet. We'll see how it goes. All right. Sounds good. But well, um, let's dig into the drop-in because, uh, you know, uh, we tell stories here. I, I love getting to know where you came from, where, you know, how you got to this point. And, and with you, uh, we haven't been friends a, t a long time, so I don't know those things. So as we learn them here, I'm going to be learning them too. And uh, I think that's awesome. One of the benefits of this show is having some of the most amazing people on the planet come into the studio and tell their story. And the goal is to inspire inspire you to get up off the couch and make life happen. It, this isn't a dress rehearsal. We get one shot at life and it's our job. It's your job to make the most of it. And so, uh, where'd you grow up, Rob? What, tell, get, let's start there. I grew up in the sleepy little burg of Livonia, ah. right around five in Inkster. Well, some of the most wonderful people that I know uh, grew up in Livonia. So how was that? I liked Livonia other than there was no downtown or anything like that. So everything was kind of a hike, but we would ride our bikes. We would walk everywhere. And it was a, you know, it was a pretty good upbringing. And then in, you know, as, uh, now did you go to high school in Livonia? Is I that where to, you? Yeah, I spent my entire school career in Livonia. So I went to Madison, Riley, Bentley. Okay, yep. okay. And what kind of, you know, what, how were you in school? Were you a popular kid? Were you the kid in the corner doing crazy stuff? Like, what were you I like? I like to think I was one of those kids that everyone kind of liked. I was nice. I was pretty much nice to everybody. Everybody was kind of nice for me. I think our school was a little bit unique. We, amongst the schools in Livonia, we would talk about uh, Stevenson being the rich person school, Franklin being the burnout school. Bentley was the punk rock school. I don't know what Churchill was. Just a school. I don't know. But everybody, it seemed like everybody in Bentley kind of got along. And yeah, it was good. Now, as you... I wasn't a good student, though, if that's what you're asking. You weren't a good student. No, not at all. Like, like borderline failure, or you had to work hard to get C's? That kind of a thing. Uh, borderline failure. Okay. Yeah. By I, choice? By, well, if you ask me then, probably not. <laughs> 
but now that I'm at this ripe old age, yeah, I could have been trying a lot harder. Okay. I had other interests. <laughs> For me, I had uh, I, I tried, but I was like, I, I put in effort and I was a BC. Like the, the book learning wasn't my thing up until my second you know, uh, junior, senior year in high school where I could had sort of more artsy kind of classes. Did I up my GPA so I could get into college? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that was my goal to be an artist. Did you have goals coming out of high school? Did you have a plan? Yeah. My plan was to be a musician. I mean, and part of my downfall of high school was that my best buddy who we started our bands together, he was the kind of kid that didn't have to go to class didn't have to study, and he'd come out with B's and A's all the time. So I would just follow him thinking, oh, that's going to happen to me. It did not. <laughs> it did not. Okay. So did you, uh, uh, did you, so you, you did not go to college then, or you did? I did a couple years at Schoolcraft, and then I took some time off, and then I went back to OCC, and then I took more time off. So, what kind of classes were you taking? Just liberal arts type of stuff because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, I was pretty heavily concentrating on music. And I was working kind of a full-time gig at Harmony House at mm -hmm. the time, uh, which took up a lot of time. And it was, you know, it's retail, so uh, it's really tough to pin down a schedule to go to school. Right. Because the hours changed all the time, that sort of thing. Right, so, right. I, you know, I wish I would have done better. Nah. But I, I, I made sure that my daughter <laughs> had the guidance. I don't know about you, but I didn't really have guidance growing up either. My parents weren't around. My, uh, you know, for me, um, hockey was what I was doing. I mean, I was going to school. I was riding a skateboard, but, you know, my parents, like, just thought I was going to be in the NHL. Yeah. So as long as I passed school... They were good with that. If it was C's, it didn't matter. I think I stopped showing report cards to my parents somewhere around middle school. Oh. And nobody ever asked. <laughs> nobody ever. <laughs> well, I mean, at that age, you're like, yeah, they ain't going to ask. Who yeah. cares, you know? Oh, well. I remember when I got a D as a sophomore. And it was when I first discovered there was a half pipe uh, skateboard ramp in the city I grew up in. And I didn't want to do anything but go home, like go straight to the ramp go home, go to hockey practice. That's what I did. And I got a D and I remember, I remember vividly like that dinner that night and just terrified to tell my dad, like, and I, he, you know, he was just a disciplinarian and he was just like, bring it up. And that's all that. But I was scared because right. I felt like I let him down. And, uh, at the end of the day, it probably didn't matter as long as I was stopping hockey pucks and, and traveling and playing hockey, it probably wouldn't have mattered that much, but uh, it was. I was happy to have that that fear because I did try to not let them down. See, I didn't have that fear. I wish I would have, and I certainly, I wouldn't say I installed fear in our daughter, but uh, she definitely knew that good grades were a priority mm -hmm. for us and hopefully for her. Well, it sets a good foundation for the yeah. rest, oftentimes. But you've done pretty so well. So I like to think that you you can learn from any experience right you can you can learn how not to be something and you can learn how to be something right. and so i feel like i learned how to be something from not being like my parents right on well you know uh, you brought up music and you do ride a skateboard for me those things sort of went hand in hand like i started skateboarding at 11 by about the age of 13, uh, once I got into it a little bit more, uh, the music that came at that time, we're talking early 80s, so punk rock and skateboarding were like this. Right. And even even hip-hop, a lot of rap. and Like our, our ramp had Run DMC painted on this side and like the Circle Jerks or something painted <laughs> on this side. And everybody was just into it, but they went together. Yeah. For you, did what came first, music or skateboarding? Uh, music definitely came first. So I was, it, it was the Beatles that started it for me. But my buddy and I, same buddy who we started bands for, the buddy who got A's, I didn't get A's, uh, we would go up to this little record store called Classic Movie Comic Center at the corner of Seven Mile Middle Belt. It's not there anymore. Don't look for it. <laughs> uh, and we would buy goofy albums. Like we were just dumb kids. We liked classic rock. We liked, we loved Alice Cooper. Um, 
and but we would just buy albums that we thought were funny because they were like a buck or mm-hmm. whatever. And one of the albums that we brought home was Dead Kennedy's Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. Oh, yeah. And we just laughed at, oh, Dead Kennedy's Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. That's hilarious. They're going to suck. We took it home. They did not suck. And it pretty much changed our lives. From that point on, we were trying to figure out how to start a band, even though neither of us could play instruments. And how old were you at that time? About 13, 14. Okay, and I you had say. never played an instrument before in your life. We both played in band, so I Likes. played trumpet. He played actually, he played trumpet too. Nice. So yeah, that was it. I had my dad bought both me and him a little drum and a little like a single drum and a little plastic guitar type thing. But it was real strange, and you actually had to tune it. And we would try to play that and be a band. Our first band was called the Pigs, by the way. Uh, yeah. It was it was awesome as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you get your first drum kit? Was that the first instrument you started playing? Drums? Yep. Well, yeah. Other than trumpet. So okay. in high school, I was in the marching band and I played trumpet. And they ran out of drummers at some point, and so they wanted to know if I could play bass drum. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. You know, boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom. And uh, I really fell in love with it. I considered myself a drummer at that point. And so I did, I saved up my nickels and I bought myself a kit. And then it was like, oh, I, I only know how to play the, the kick drum. I don't know how to play the rest of it. But I really just learned from listening to music yeah. and just playing music. I would, I would have my sticks with me all the time. I would pound on the bed. You know, my pillow would be hi-hat. The bed would be the, the snare. And I'd kind of learn that way. And then I'd transfer that to the drums because yeah. even... Even I didn't want to listen to me play the drums when I didn't know how to play the drums because <laughs> it just sounded like a cacophony of racket. So early on, and I asked just because, like, I have very similar experience. At I think I was 18, and I went to the pawn shop and bought a drum set, and I finally got a bass pedal, but I didn't have any cymbals or a stand, so I was sitting on pickle buckets with a chair as my hi-hat, and I was learning, and I wasn't even a big fan, I was learning Nirvana, because the drums were relatively simple, and I couldn't do everything David Grohl was doing, but I could actually play a song. What were some of the first bands or drummers you were emulating other than the Beatles? Well... I pick songs that I pick songs that I liked, but I pick songs that could. It, they were slow enough to help me learn. So I was doing I was doing some of the slower Ramones stuff. Sex Pistols was pretty much up my alley, uh, just because it was at nice medium tempo, mm-hmm. and it took me really a kind of a long time to get into double time, you know, really fast punk rock. Even though was, even when we were in our first real band that would play places, I still really couldn't do it that well. And then one day it just clicked. Now was there, did you have any friends who were drummers? Anybody you could pick their brain or they could offer you some insight? No, not really. (laughs) It was, I, when we started our first band, uh, I would, actually our very first band, our high school band, I was the lead singer. And then the drummer went away to school. And then I'm like, well, I'll do it. I know how to play drum, boom, 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 boom. And uh, yeah, so that's, I pretty much learned on the job. And then you've been playing ever since. Was, yeah, there, yeah. Ever, was there ever a time you didn't own a drum kit? Uh, no, no, ever since I was 17. Okay. Yep. And see, I ask all these questions because I'm a drummer. I play the drums, very similar trajectory, self-taught, all that kind of stuff. And when I first started playing, I was like playing because a, a really good band needed a drummer. And so I was getting like good tips from the guys. Yeah. They could play better than I could, the other guys around me. And so it was awesome from a learning curve perspective. And, uh, and that's all I wanted to do. I mean, that's uh, like every day I'm tapping out songs on my steering wheel. And, oh, and, that's, yeah. People then, can't drive with me. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I would be the greatest drummer in the world if the drum set was shaped like my car. <laughs> <laughs> like I can do twenty one twelve, <laughs> but you put me behind a kit and do that. Like, <laughs> do you have a favorite drummer? Because you bring up Rush and a lot of people uh, who are drummers love Neil Peart. Man, mine is so. Uh, it's just gonna sound like everybody else's. Keith Moon, John Bonham. Exactly. But they really. But are. they are the best. Yeah, they they just 
like they hit something home for two different reasons. You know, Bonham is obviously power and just this amazing groove all the time. And then Keith is, it's just this madman who somehow is always on beat. Right. Regardless of what happens. It's like the Tasmanian devil, like, but it's like a click track. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Yeah. But my drumming style is more Charlie Watts. Like I'm a simple groove oriented hold down the I know what my job is. I'm I'm the engine room. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not I'm not there to be showy. Now if I ever learned how to be showy, would I be showy? I don't know. But I think I prefer that other than Moon and Bonham, I like listening to really solid, straightforward drumming. Yeah, solid backbeat. And some of the greatest bands ever, that's what they have. They don't have a a, a Neil Peart or Danny Carey from Tool. or That's not what's needed for that music. And, um, uh, you know, one of the most amazing things I had ever seen is Aerosmith. Aerosmith, the drums are... Oh, Kramer's great, man. Uh, right, but if you uh, like, I I just thought, ah, eh, whatever. You know, he plays, he he does what he needs to do for the music. Right. But I saw him in a drumming video, and it was yeah. like technically and fundamentally, that guy is an amazing drummer. I'm like, why don't you do more? But yeah. the music doesn't call for more. Like Chad Smith, you know, a lot of people make fun of the Red Hot Chili Peppers for multiple reasons, uh, but. Boy, Chad is a phenomenal drummer. Great example, yeah. yeah. And he plays really simple stuff with mm-hmm. that, for the most part. But he's fun to play because yeah. sometimes it'll come on. You know, I'll put on my headphones and, and it'll, uh, some Chili Pepper stuff will be mixed in on Pandora, and I'll play it. I'm not a huge Chili Peppers yeah. fan, but his drums are fun to play. Less is more yeah. a lot of times, yeah, sort of like Stuart Copeland. Yeah. You think Stuart Copeland is less, less is more? With the police, I totally think that. Oh, God, he's all over the place. No way. Like, you listen to Greatest Hits and some of his off-time stuff, like, you so want to hit, but you got to wait, like, that fraction of a second. That's what I'm talking about when I mean less is more. Yeah, yeah. You play Walking on the Moon. It's not a ton of beats there, but it's such a hard song to play. I totally agree. And, and he's one of my favorites for that yeah, reason. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. Stuart Copeland is amazing. Um, and, and so much of what you said resonates with me because, like, my first punk rock, like, introduction to punk rock was Dead Kennedys. Yeah. But it was Bedtime for Democracy. And, and then the drums, you know, getting into drums and being self-taught and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I brought up that I was right into a band when I started playing for you, um, you know, what, what, what bands have you played in and what are your favorites? Um, I've played in multiple bands, all to little to no fame or <laughs> notoriety. And uh, so my very first band was called The Radical Monks. The Radical Monks. Yeah, that was a high school band. We sang and we, try, you know, we would play punk rock covers. Uh, but more like old school punk rock covers. Before we go too much further, because I don't know how these mics work, you might pull that mic a little closer to you if you can, or okay. move your seat over a little bit. I just don't want the audio to get screwed up. And right. because we're Shanghaiing this place, I don't. I don't know. Like I really don't know. Like look, Woodward Sports. Like I feel like I'm in the big boy chair today, and we are. These chairs are like four foot high. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Our our uh, mics in the studio at the state at the radio station. They're you don't have to really move up on them. Yeah. So. Uh, I just want to could... be safe because I don't want to lose anything for you guys, our, our drop-in audience. But you if know? nobody heard me up until now... No, they totally did. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. I apologize. But um, the band. So so you're, you're Radical Monks. Yep. Aerosol Souffle. Aerosol Souffle. Now, did you have a hand in those names? Uh, yes. I mean, obviously, it's a boat, but... It... Yeah, they were... I, I think we sort of hid behind comedy and goofy names for our bands because we were not we we didn't feel as confident as musicians so we there was always a level of goofiness to our bands okay yeah. well uh this uh just because of goofiness yeah i don't know where the name came from but the second band i played in was this crazy hardcore band called captain feedback and i don't even know where the name came from i'm like i'm just a drummer man but uh but names are very important yeah they're very important i agree that my first real band playing out in bars and stuff like that um it was at the time where there were bands like uh almighty lambert jacks of death ald mm-hmm. screamy bloody leopard children sblc uh million dead cops 
MDC, yep. so on. So, and all these names are like really kind of angry and horrific. <laughs> and so we definitely wanted an initial type name. And we're, oh, but we wanted, we wanted everybody to go, oh, the initials, they're tough. There must be a tough band. What does that stand for? So the initials were SBG. And, you know, I, people are probably coming up with whatever horrible thing that could stand for. But it stood for sensitive big guys. <laughs> we just wanted to be the, the nicest, silliest sort of thing. Now, people were the would other ask guy, us all the time. Were the other guys in the band big? Because you're not a very big guy. No, we were tiny. That's even funnier. And there's a recording studio called the Temper Mill. At the time, it was at Five Mile and LeVan. And, and the guy who owned it, Dave Feeney, would record pretty much all the little punk rock bands around town, including ALD, including us. And he, was, he did some sort of interview, and they said, the question was, which band you know, drinks the most beer in the studio? Is it Almighty Lumberjacks of Death? Because they're big dudes. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Doom. Uh, and they said, no, it's actually these scrawny little white guys from Livonia <laughs> <laughs> called Sensitive Big Guys. <laughs> so, That's something to put on a resume, though, yeah. because ALD is... Pretty legendary in Detroit. It's true, but apparently we had them beat. I don't know if that's something to be proud of or not, but right, right. And you know, uh, recording studios—you meet some awesome people. And some of the best friends I have still to this day were like coming in and out of studios over the years. Um, my buddy Matt Bishop—he was playing in uh, the Scurvies okay. at the time. Yeah. And we're still friends to this day, and he, he, he's the guitarist for Stalefish. You were recording at the same time as he was? Captain and, Feedback okay. was recording. <laughs> and, and where were you recording at? Huh? Where were you recording at? A uh, guy named Scruff, uh, punk rock guy over in Redford, did some recordings in his basement uh, for I know. Yes. a bunch of punk bands. And so we're recording. The Scurvies are coming in. They're a little younger. And uh, I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm going to skate. You guys can do the lyrics. Like, I'm out. And uh, and they were coming in, and I met Matt, and I guess uh, Eric and Jerry from the from our band uh, said, you know, if we give you guys some beer, will you come in and do the background screaming for us? <laughs> and and that's what ended up happening. I was gone already, skating a skate park or something. But um, you you meet some of the most interesting people in and around music and studios at gigs and for whatnot. Sure. And it's it's a like minded crew for the most part. So you kind of already have this. That's what I love about skating too. Uh, and music is you kind of can go into a situation you'll see a group of people you may not know them but you kind of already have this base point of of what you kind of know what they're going to be about well i talk about it often especially through the 80s where if you saw somebody with a punk rock t-shirt or a pair of vans on it was almost like an instant bond because they had to search that out you couldn't go to the corner store you couldn't go to hot tropics or whatever it is you had to like find to go to that store down in dearborn to get our vans i forget what it was called but it was a big shoe store Uh, it was right by wonderland music Mm -hmm. and i can't the name escapes me right now i forget too but that's where we buy our vans and our chucks yeah i used to order mine from california cheap skates and i'd I'd have to wait you know like two three months and i'd get the ugliest color because they were the cheapest you'd order through like an actual catalog no through thrasher magazine okay they had they had a thing in there and i can get it for 39.99 they were ugly as heck i'd be duct taping my shoes until the new ones came oh Yeah. I miss, I think I'm too old to do it now, but I miss duct taping my shoes. <laughs> yeah. But and speaking tape, of, when, go ahead, finish the Just that tape. it can solve any, any problem Everything. a skater or a musician may have. Yeah. And now they got fancy colors and all kinds of yeah. stuff. Um, but I want to go back to, to how we open the music, music segment. Yeah. When did you start writing a skateboard? I, well, I went through phases, right? So I grew up on a gravel driveway on a gravel street. So it was, I would have to walk close to a half mile to get to pavement, but I would. Uh, My mom and dad were divorced at that point. And where my dad lived was um, an apartment complex. And so I could skate there, but that was every other weekend. Um, And I would go to the, um, the old Redford skate park. You remember that? I don't it might know. have been gone before you even started skating. Yeah, I don't know if I ever went there. It was between uh, five and six, or no, six and seven on beach. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I never went. But there. it was a wonky park in that they made it like the 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 bowl was way too tall and way too narrow. Type of, so it was really hard place to skate. 
so between that and not really having a place to skate, it sort of fell by the wayside. Mm. And then I would skate off and on through high school. And then after high school, I picked it up again, and I started going to Metro Trend, and then I started going to Modern, the original Modern. That's where I first met you, by the way. Not at Metro Trend? No, I don't remember you from Metro Time. Really? It was Modern at the time. Yeah, Metro Trend was my spot. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember, they had a, at, at a, towards the end of it, they had a giant Frankenstein head painted by the spine yeah. ramp. And and that was ended yeah. up being my first pro model, yeah. and I actually painted that with some friends who were teaching me how to paint with spray cans. Yeah. But Metro Trend, we had the keys to that place. Like two a.m., we'd go in there and have yeah, sessions. Yeah, I love that. I miss that. I often, if I can't sleep, I will dream about runs at the old modern. Oh yeah. Yeah, I miss that place. It, it was a great <laughs> place, and and so many great memories. You know, and and friends that were made then are still friends today. It was a it was a special place. We were very fortunate to have that uh, through most of the nineties uh, yeah. and into the two thousands before it shut down. Yep. Um, but uh, you know, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but it's as much for me as it is for you. I'm sorry. I'm being a little selfish today. The guests uh, here are. Uh, they're they're always uh, over the top in my opinion and i'm a little biased obviously uh, but uh, you know uh, to bring you guys the stories of how uh, different people different walks of life get from point a to point b is the goal of this show and inspire you to get off the couch i gotta ask you about the dank we're gonna bounce back to music because the dank um we played some of the the songs yep. that you guys have written uh when did when did you start that band or when were you part of that band so the dank came out of there was a band called Mr. Tidy and all we did it was we were kind of like me first and the gimme gimme's before me first and the gimme gimme's we would just do punk rock versions of 80s synth pop songs and it branched out to other like we'd play Ice Ice Baby and stuff like that but we would play a lot and it was a popular band because it's easy for people to go and it's fun for them to recognize the song mm -hmm. and it's still punk rock uh, our guitar player Kirk at that time who you've met um he started writing his own songs, and they were really good. So we just decided to do this offshoot band that was going to be all original music. And so that was the dank. But it turned out to be, you know, a, a better band than Mr. Tidy. Uh, and so that was the band that we just kind of played all the little clubs and, and uh, what year did, did some opening uh, gigs for Easy Action and John Brandon. Oh, no way. Yeah. How was cool. Fun. Yeah. That's when I first, I knew John being John back in the N.A. days and certainly the Laughing Hyenas. But this is the first time I really got to know him and, and meet him and stuff like that. Yeah, and for, for those of you who don't know the name John Brandon, legendary in, like, the hardcore punk rock world, was uh, the singer for Negative Approach who broke the mold out of Detroit. I mean, people still, to the like right now, uh, Negative Approach is on tour with the Circle Jerks. Like, yeah. they're legendary. And in the downtime of uh, Negative Approach, uh, was uh, fronting the Laughing Hyenas, and that's when I first met him when I would go down to St. Andrew's Hall and see the Laughing Hyenas yeah. play. And Brandon, for as intense as he is, <laughs> he is such a nice dude. He, uh, he has taken my daughter Lily, I wouldn't say under his wing, but anytime he sees her or any time she posts something, he's like super supportive of yeah. her. So. At the Circle Jerk show, she was pretty much backstage hanging out with those guys the entire time. And she came back with a slew of pictures of those guys together. Nobody's smiling in any of the pictures. And she said, like, John's just laughing the entire time until somebody holds up a camera and then yeah. And it goes into John mode. Yeah, but he is intense. And I know it's like I, I make outlines for the show. And they're in the outline, um, I, I actually talk about Lily a little bit and ask you. And I know this is your show. This is about Rob Paul. But since you brought up Lily, let's talk about Lily a little bit. I mean, I met her, I don't know, six months ago, a year ago, whatever. And, and what a talented, polite awesome young lady you have raised. I We are, Linda and I, my wife, are very happy with the outcome of Lily. We often said it could go, it could go anyway, right? We did, like I said, we made sure that she had good grades, but it was, I don't know if it was a priority for me, but I really wanted her to love music and love skating, but I didn't want to be a sports dad and have that be the reason why she didn't like it, right? You know, where you're just 
too much. Like, do it, do it, mm-hmm. do it better. And so I think I was pretty easy about it, probably a little bit harder about the band in band practice and stuff like that. But she has really, she's an art kid, and I couldn't be more proud. She, uh, she may not have been the best in math. That, I think that was a big struggle in high school. But she's at CCS right now, uh, her first year there. And she's, she's, really, she's doing really well. She's skating. She's still playing music. Her band, The Plastic Beach, got shut down by COVID. They were, it was their senior year. So A, they were all seniors. They were all trying to figure out what they were going to do for college. She actually has a better story about, you know, finding your way At some point, we might have to get her in the the drop-in studios. But Yeah, I feel like my story is like everybody else's. But Uh, but yeah, I mean, she really, that whole crew during that time frame, right, trying to navigate your senior year of high school from your bedroom, trying to figure out colleges that you can't go visit, mm-hmm. you know, so everything's all online. And her poor little band, they, they were set up for a little summer tour. They were going to play the Sad Summer Festival that was rolling through town, which was the big emo fest, comes through town every year. Uh, they were going to do this Front Porch Festival in Ferndale, and the year before that, they had like 300 people and they had to shut down the street that they were playing on. And that was, it was, yeah, we felt like it was going to be there her summer before they all went away to school and it never happened. And so she got really discouraged and she just sort of stopped playing. And she's just recently uh, started writing new stuff. So she's, I'm proud to say that she's going back in the studio in the end of July. Oh, cool. To record some new stuff. Cool. You know, uh, a very talented young lady. We've I've skated with Lily. Um, we've talked music. She actually did a painting for me. Uh, just rad. And then to, to be able to uh, have the opportunity to go to CCS, you know, Center for Creative Studies here in Detroit is a, I mean, I, I would say they're one of the top art schools in the country. And so to have that opportunity as well uh, is just awesome for her moving forward in life. Yeah, we're excited for her. We're, we see, not only do we see growth in her as a person, because uh, she's living down there. And, you know, obviously she was living with us for the first 18 years. And so we weren't sure how she was going to do out of the net, you know, mm-hmm. on her own, right? Uh, I feel like we she was raised raised in the era of parents that maybe over protected. We were raised in where they just sent you out and you came <laughs> home at ten o'clock at night, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check in when the street lights yeah, come on. So and... I think that that group of parents sort of went the other way. Right. And unfortunately, Lily was part of that group. So when it was time for her to leave, we're like, uh oh, did we do too much for her? Is she gonna be okay? But she's. Yeah, she's doing good. She's, yeah. yeah. She loves it. She loves being on her own. She's very responsible. And she's slaying, she's slaying her first year of college. Yeah. She's coming up with some pretty decent art so yeah. we can see the progress. Well, she got a good head on her shoulders, yeah. and uh, so great she's job. She's a good kid. All the boys at Modern love her. <laughs> I mean, how can you not? Like, she's confident. She's cute. She skates. She makes music. She does cool art. She can carry a conversation. You will have to have her on here because that's a way better story than yeah. mine. So we will. We will. <laughs> she'll she'll get in here. So pay attention to future episodes and yeah. uh, look out for Lily Paul because I mean, I I was blown away by just the talent and Thank and you. just how cool and easy and and modest and and just uh i mean just great young lady so great job to you guys thank you um, linda too linda had a lot to do with that. yeah uh, uh, uh what was i just gonna say i don't know you uh, have an outline i i know but I, I i very rarely am at a loss for words as you know i can run my trap all day long it is um, true i wanted to uh actually say and then that's what it was you took the words out of my mouth and linda as well because i keep saying great job to you uh, linda and you have done an amazing job raising that young lady thank uh, you we will have her back on here um but I, I wanted to ask because you had mentioned in in passing about living in germany yeah so uh, that's actually a good segue happen? from lily because i think a lot of lily's um worldview and how to deal with people came from a move. So we moved to Germany when Lily was 12, just going on 13. So it's just like middle school type of situation. And one day my, you know, I worked for, um, I had a real job at that point. I worked for Citigroup 
and I did, I started Citigroup and I didn't know what I was doing. I worked in record stores all my life. I decided I wanted to do a nine to five because retail was kind of bumming me out. And I had a friend who worked in the industry and said, hey, if you want a job, you can have it. I did that. What is Citigroup? Uh, mortgage banking. Banking. Okay. Yep. So, but I worked in the mortgage division. And through that, I just sort of found this little niche to sort of make myself uh, needed in that company and not do the same thing everything else, everybody else was doing. And so we had all these title companies that were managed. And at the same time, the mortgage industry was blowing up. That was like 2007. Mm -hmm. And things were going horribly wrong. And all these regulations started coming through that we weren't prepared or our processors weren't prepared to handle or to do. And it was gumming up the works. And one of our title vendors said, hey, we, I think we can do some automation stuff to sort of fix this. And that just became my job for the next six years, okay. just working on that. And so I just sort of made myself <laughs> indispensable. So I was doing very well at that company. And one day my wife came home and said, do you want to quit your job and move to Germany? Because that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so she asked you the question just out of respect and to make you feel like you had a say in the, in the, in the, I, I would, I'm sure if I would have just flat out said no, but I didn't, no. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I, I am just a dumb punk rock kid at heart. So the corporate world was really weird for me because I, I don't really change who I am mm. much. And so I was, I was kind of abrasive and I just said what I felt in, and so, I don't know, I, it, was ready, it was time for me to leave anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, it was great. And so the, I think the, the hardest part, though she was totally into it, was moving, having Lily to move schools right when they're starting to find those teenage friends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, like I said, I think that's where she sort of figured out her worldview. And, and what was in Germany? Uh, it was her, my wife's company. Uh, which does the sexiest part of the car, which is the ceilings of the glass, the little rubber ceilings, okay. you know, the part that people really <laughs> buy the cars for. Uh, so she worked for that, and there's, they were supplying BMW. They needed somebody in Germany, blah, blah, blah. We were there, yeah. And they, yeah, it was, other than me not being able to speak German, my wife can speak fluently. Uh, Lily couldn't speak either. Uh, but we moved... Lily went to an international school, so she wouldn't have to learn German right away, like right out of the gate, you know, by trial by fire. So our little uh, neighborhood was a lot of English-speaking Germans who lived there just because of the neighborhood, and then a lot of expats. Well, that makes the transition a little bit easier. It sure did. Yeah, yeah. There was, it was rarely a struggle for me. I would have to go shopping. I was, at that point, I was a housefrau because I wasn't working. Uh, so I was just taking care of the house and doing all the shopping. So, you know, things that I I didn't know I was going to have to figure out until I had to figure out, like ordering a half pound of ham. Well, how do you say half pound of ham? Right. Oh, by the way, there's no pounds. <laughs> it's all kilos. How much is a kilo? <laughs> and now you're feeling like a drug dealer because right. that's the only time we hear kilos in the States. Yeah, so it was a little, you know, it was a little bit of a transition. But I think the biggest thing that we could have walked away from that and did walk away from that is that Europe is so small compared to us and they're all stacked on each other. And we learned very quickly that here people will try to buy the biggest house, the biggest car, not everybody, but that's, it seems to be a, a mindset of America. And Everything was small there, so you couldn't get too big of a place. You couldn't get too big of a car. And because the places weren't that big, people would, at night, they'd just go down to the little city squares, and that was their entertainment at night. They would just sit in these squares and talk and hang out, and then everybody would just mill back to their houses when it got dark out. And to me, that was just amazing. And I really felt that they valued experience and time more than they valued stuff and it sounds like relationships as well yeah for sure yeah i that exists here for sure mm -hmm. i know plenty of people that live by that 
rule of law. But yeah, just I think the overall, just like if you're just trying to A and B it, right? You know, America likes stuff. Europe likes experience. Right, right. Yeah. I got to travel a little bit abroad, and, and it's it's very cool to see how other cultures operate and how very different it is right. from from our our everyday experiences. And uh, and that's a great takeaway, actually. And I think we're moving in that direction. I think with the the state of the world over the last I few think COVID years, COVID actually nudged us nudged us a little bit in the right direction. Yeah, we'll I agree. See. Who knows? Who knows what happens ten years from now? Right. 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 <laughs> I mean. Really? Who knows? I mean, who? you could have never predicted three years ago we would have had what we've had over the last two to three years, and kidding. now here we are. And I think... Uh, it's nice that we can look back on it and see some of the pluses. Right? Yeah. I'm sure there's people that there were no pluses for them. Uh, but I think, I think the majority of people probably found a way to operate mm-hmm. that way and kind of liked it. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I have to agree with you. And you... Um, moving on to our next segment because we only have an hour here on the drop in. So I try oh. to I try to paint with a broad brush, cover what we have to cover. In in I'm that's talking what... Gerald style. I'm talking too much. No, I love yeah. it. I love it. That's why I'm so happy you came on the show, Rob. I you know I I I knew I knew uh, like already. I'm sitting here and I'm like. Man, should Rob and I start our own show? Like, have a the Gerald and Rob show, and uh, what can we do with it? Like, already my gears are turning. But anyway, I would love that. I'd love to be the Ed McMahon to your Johnny Carson. <laughs> well, we're gonna move to this next Hey-o. segment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, it's a great segue into the next segment, and I want to talk about Ferndale Radio. Sure, because that's, that's re- really why I'm here. Well, you're here because you're really freaking cool, and I think you can inspire somebody to get off their damn couch and make their own life happen, as you have. But with Ferndale Radio, the exciting news is you're streaming now, but I want to start at the beginning. Sure. How did it start? So it started, so I was in Germany at the time that the, the seed was planted, and one of my close friends, Jeremy, who used to, he works for audiovisual in Warren Consulted consolidated schools and has for a very long time and so he was also the dude that would just come and videotape all our punk rock shows um and so we became fast friends and he was always interested in somehow starting a radio station and there was a thing where you could you could start like this really low watt am station that's pretty much just a block but it's kind of like, it's more like a hobby type thing. There's one that exists in Hamtramck that's okay. pretty cool. But you got to be in that block to listen to it. Um, and while that happened, the Obama administration put out these, it was called uh, low power FM stations. And they were only giving out 50 licenses. So Jeremy and a group of friends while I was in Germany uh, started that process, and then I would help out as I could from Germany with whatever paperwork or, or, sort of making up shows on GarageBand just to have an idea of what they could be like, type of thing. And so, when we moved to Germany, my wife said, "When we come back, I don't want you to have to go back to City Mortgage, unless you want to. I would like you to try to figure out." some passion projects or, or try to figure out something that you love. So in my mind, I was going to be a brewer and I was going to work on this radio station type thing. The brewery thing didn't work out, uh, but the radio station did. Did you take an honest stab at the brewery thing? Uh, I talked to people about getting in, you know, starting up and even saying, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll just clean stuff for free. And, just no takers you know mm-hmm. i i met one of my closest friends now who owned a brewery and he's like yeah there's just nothing there's really nothing for you to do and the brewer would just be angry that you're there <laughs> <laughs> doing the stuff he should be doing right 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 and i got it it was fine but we we he's actually one of the board members of the radio station now oh cool so yeah we started that so it officially launched we had to raise money for a $15,000 tower and antenna, and we had to find a place to put it. And you're a nonprofit. We're a nonprofit, right. So we also had to go through the process of becoming a nonprofit. Uh, so we did. We raised 15000 bucks just through crowdfunding. And through the crowdfunding, 
uh, we met Chris Best, who owns the Rust Belt Market at Nine and Woodward. Which is such a cool... Yeah, it's like a little artisan community. It's just rad. The first time I was ever in it was uh, a couple weeks ago when I came to visit you on Ferndale Radio. And it's just this comfy, cool, like, it it just has a great feel to it. It's Yeah, it's amazing. And he was kind enough. His donation, which is still ongoing, was a space in the Rust Belt Market. And so we had a space... That's where the tower is going to go. And so that just means it's a, it's a 200 watt uh, antenna on a 15 foot tower. So basically you could only hear us in Ferndale or as I like to constantly make fun of is like, you can only hear us when you're trying to park in Ferndale because <laughs> anybody who's driving through Ferndale, it's like that, you know, uh-huh. you're there and then it's gone uh, in a little bit of Royal Oak. And so we operate, we, our first on air was Black Friday on 2017. From day one of that, we're like, okay, we need to raise money so we can start streaming so anybody can hear us. Uh, also part of being a uh, not-for-profit radio station or a public radio station, which we are, is you can't sell ad space. You can take, you can take donations like we could take donations from Lady Jane's, but we couldn't say, go get your haircut at Lady Jane's. They're having 15% off. They're the best haircutting place in But Michigan. can you thank them for the donation? Exactly. That's, okay. Yeah. You can say, so a different style Lady Jane's of advertising. cuts hair at 15 and Woodward. And that's about it. Thank okay. you for your donation. So it was really hard to drum up money that way because people want to be able to sell stuff mm-hmm. on the radio. Um, but we constantly got enough between people donating money and businesses uh, underwriting for us to stay afloat. But we weren't making any money to get to our streaming goal. To stream for two years without having to worry about it was 12,000 bucks. And it was, it's at that point, it probably cost us two to 3,000 bucks just to operate how we're operating right now. Um, So, we just constantly raised money and we constantly spent money. A local writer, Michael Sidorian, he actually had a, a movie turned into a book. The, uh, I'm forgetting it. Book turned into a movie. Book you turned meant. into a movie. I can't remember it. And now he's going to be mad at me. Sorry, Michael. It'll be in the comments. <laughs> we'll get the Somebody information. Get yeah. Anywho, he wanted it. He, he was writing a book about a kid who becomes a DJ in the 70s. And so he was interested in doing a show. I'm saying, yeah, we'd love to have you. He fell in love with it, did it, and he knows everybody in Ferndale. So he sort of got the ball rolling cool. for money coming in. And uh, we just sort of took it from there. We got Valentine Distillery on board to sponsor the station. And so that was a good chunk of change. And then we'd started in earnest crowdfunding again. And we raised $8,000 doing that. Uh, We brewed a beer with the Ferndale Project, which is part of the Eastern Market Brewery family. And we made the rest of the money through that. And so we, I think it was maybe... Five months ago now, we, we've got our stream together, and we're, we're going. So, yeah, you can hear us anywhere. You don't have to be parking in Ferndale. It's ferndaleradio.com, and through that, you can listen to us anytime you want. My particular show is on Friday nights from 5 to 7, Big and Sensitive Heavy Radio. I told you I was in a band called Sensitive Big Guys. One of my best, not one of my best friends, my best friend growing up was in that band with me and pretty much in every band I've ever been in. And he passed away uh, a few years ago from brain cancer. So we decided to call, name the show after him and he would be honored. But now you can listen to Ferndale Radio anytime you want. And so please do, please listen. And if you're kind enough, also on FerndaleRadio.com, you can donate some money to help us stay afloat. So we are doing pretty good for two years, uh, but we have to earn enough money 
to do the following years. Okay. Yeah. So we have two years to earn enough to go year by year. Well, and, and it's we such a rad story. Yeah, there is not. So we have um, public radio downtown, right? And they do an awesome job. They, they do great music, but it's still, it's not eclectic and they have a lot of talk shows. Mm -hmm. So there's really nothing like it in Michigan or the Detroit area now where you can just, it's, you can hear anything. Like my show last week, I was playing uh, Kill 'Em All by Metallica, and then I went into a Platters track in a 50s doo-wop band. And that's, the part of my love of music is truly the randomness of music. So when I was old enough to drive, I would make my own mixtapes, and I would buy a brick of Maxell's mm -hmm. 60s or 90s, mm -hmm. and I would record just song. I wouldn't record whole albums. I'd just song this song, that song, fill up the tape, wouldn't label it, do another tape, fill it up, wouldn't label it, get three or four tapes going, throw them under the seat of my car, pull them out, put it in, and play it until I knew what the next song was going to be, and then I chuck it out the window and go for the next one. Okay. So I like to say I basically invented the iPod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the under-the-seat pod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, but I that's what I love about radio, because it used to be that way. Uh, back in the ABX days, W4. Well, even when 89X first started, 89X oh, yeah, was our sure. first alternative uh, station in the Metro Detroit area. And it they was only a on, local show. Well, you remember it was only on for like three hours on a Sunday. Yep. And you would sit there like with the record buttons yep. ready to go. And when you heard the song, this is for those of you who didn't live live it at that time. It's probably like, what are they talking about? But you would have a blank cassette tape on your in your little boombox or whatever. And you'd be like... Oh, like you'd think the song you wanted to hear was starting. Right, you cut off the first. Oh yeah, man, it was it was such a it. different time. And then when the mixtapes, uh, when when they actually started making um, hi-fi systems where you could dub stuff, and then you'd like make mixtapes for friends. You'd like do different things. It was such a a very unique time to be alive uh, to do that and personalize stuff like that. Yeah, and that's what Ferndale Radio is. It really is a giant mixtape. So we are. We are in automation mode Monday through Friday because the Rust Belt Market isn't open. We do have keys, so we can do. We we plan on starting to do shows uh, on the weekdays, but right now it's live DJs Friday through Sunday. Okay, uh, and that's when you really hear some really great random music. When it's on automation, it's still great music, but our library is only so big, right. <laughs> and so you might hear the same song at some point. Well, and I had the honor of co-hosting your show with you, and it, it was very much, uh, I mean, my my playlist is pretty predictable. I mean, I had like five or six songs from Detroit bands that I love, and then some of my favorite songs, but then in between, there was some stuff out of left field, but it fit. It yes. fit. And, and that, I thought, was the most incredible part, because some of the bands I didn't even know. I'd be hard-pressed to find music that doesn't fit together. Yeah. That's, you know, that's my take, and I was... I was kind of raised like my dad's record collection was pretty eclectic. Uh, and then I started working for Harmony House when I was 17 years old. And that's, I mean, everybody that worked behind the counter at Harmony House was a record geek and a music geek. Well, and you get all the and promo so, stuff and all yeah, the random stuff. They, you know, they would tell me what to listen to and that was, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I grew up on Neil Sedaka, The Supremes, Elvis, some Freddie Fender. Like, that's what my mom listened Dude, to. Dude, my mom had a Barry Manilow album live, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And I still love a couple of those songs to this day. My dad had Johnny Cash albums. And boy, I fell in love with that right away, even as a punk rock kid. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it seems like Johnny Cash goes with punk rock nowadays, but I don't know if it did in the early 80s. Hardcore or not, but I was that I was at that time. I was listening to hardcore and Johnny Cash. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Where do you hope? You know, where do you guys see the station in in one year, five years? What are you hoping? To so do? in two years, we'd like to see it. We'd like to be able to just not worry about 
raising money for the next year. We kind of we hope to have something in place where we're doing uh, legitimate fundraisers once a year, like you know a telethon type of thing, mm-hmm. a radiothon, if you will. Uh, and then because we're in the Rust Belt market. There is a beautiful space in the middle of the Rust Belt Market that they have weddings in or they'll have corporate parties or various things. You can rent it out. Uh, And there's a beautiful stage back there. So uh, there's a station, I think it's out in Portland or Seattle, but it's uh, KEXP. And they do all these touring bands will come through town and they'll do a little set on their stage, right? And those are they have sponsorship for those so they're getting money that way so we'd like to do something like that in the rust belt have touring bands come through do a little like a uh public radio calls it like tiny desk uh show and have them play three or four songs that would be our visual be on youtube and have a different stream of income that way so that's yeah that's our goal right now we're never going to be able to have a bigger license unless we were to buy it. Okay. Part of the deal with the license that we got was that you have to be this 200-watt station. Uh, we can get a bigger tower, and that would cost money. That would get a little bit higher range, but we'll never be like WIRF. right? We just can't legally be that. Uh, so we, we, we would like to have our niche in terrestrial radio, 100.7 FM. If you're in the Birmingham area and you're trying to listen to it, you'll hear the Canadian station. So if you hear Corey Hart or Glass Tagger, it's not us, it's them. <laughs> uh, but like, so yeah, we, we were really putting all our eggs into the streaming thing and we're just completely ecstatic that cool. it's, it's taking off. He said Glass Tiger. Well, you know, again, I want to thank you very yeah, much for coming you. on the drop in tonight. Um, you know, in Ferndale Radio, go over it one more time how everybody can listen to it. Yeah, so like I said, if you're in the Ferndale Royal Oak uh, areas, uh, Detroit North of 8 Mile, I think you can hear it too, is 100.7 FM. And anywhere else, it's just FerndaleRadio.com. And then there's a link, there's an there's a embedded player. Right there, you click on it, preferably Friday nights from 5 to 7, and you'll hear us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but listen listen whenever you want, and if you like what you hear, there's also a donate button, and we'd very much appreciate whatever you could could spare to have the randomness of radio back in Detroit. That should be the tagline. That should be the tag. I don't know if you guys have a tagline, but random, randomness of radio should be the tagline. Um, you know, we covered a lot here. We have. We only get about an hour or so. So I try to try to speed it up a little bit. But, um, you know, I had a great time on the show. So I, I. I wanna, Thank you so much. I, I want to, uh, with Ferndale Radio, I want to see that grow beyond belief because I think you guys are doing good stuff. And music is very important. Music is memories. Music is, is such. It is uh, my, literally my air. Well, it, I, it's always going. If it's not in front of me, it's in my head. I love it. I love it. And and for you guys, you know, make sure to check out Ferndale Radio. There were so many nuggets that Rob dropped tonight. I hope you were taking notes because uh, even even how how uh, Ferndale Radio started to where it's at today. If you have a dream or a goal or something you you're passionate about that you want to see here, Sometimes you got to start here. You got to start in the trenches and you got to, you really got to fight for it. And that's what Rob and the folks at Ferndale Radio are doing right now. So make sure to check out FerndaleRadio.com. Donate if you can to keep it going. And uh, again, Rob, thank you so much. We're going to have to do this again for sure. For sure. Gerald, and thank you for your friendship. Yeah. We're lucky people. Me on. We're, we're lucky people. We get to have a good time. We get to ride skateboards, Being play music. Guy. Ah, well, you know, we, uh, I have ver- uh, cool people around me, and that helps. So, um, with that, I want to say uh, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Drop In. Make sure to like, share, follow, all that kind of good stuff, because it's all positivity. It's all stories of of, of overcoming, of, of moving to Germany. On that's crazy to me. That was crazy to me. Starting bands. Uh, we. Cover 
so much that you will get something out of it. And whatever you want to do, you can do it. You just have to set your mind to it and be passionate about it. You've heard so many examples from my man Rob Paul today. You, I mean, come on now. Come on. And so I encourage you to make the most of the life that you have. Rob, thank you once again for being here this week. You know how I'm going to go out? If you're listening on the podcast, you're not going to see it, but I'm going to lower my chair. (laughs) Before we started, it was straight up like Austin Powers. He is Rob Paul. I am Gerald Valley. And this is The Drop-In. Goodbye. (laughs) 